a beckoning voice that sends spinning. You have no choice. Right up. And we're back. I'm Murphy. Uh, Tom, you out there? I'm out here. How are you, my friend? Pretty good. It's been a while. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I was thinking since it's been a while, we really haven't really talked about um, the ending in any kind of great detail, or maybe Odessa specifically, in a while. And some things have changed over time. I think that when I originally saw uh, Part 18 and, and for some time afterwards... I was kind of convinced that what Cooper was doing uh, with Diane in Part 18 was kind of crossing over into some kind of alternate reality or that Judy Pocket universe. But as time has passed, um, I, I really think what he's doing is is that he's penetrating Laura's dream world. So I want to kind of go into that uh, kind of theory and kind of talk about that and see what you think. And uh, we'll go off some tangents here and there. But uh, a lot of people are still talking about the ending. So it's still resonating. It's still mysterious. I think it will be for some time. So I wanted to kind of just revisit that portion before we jump back into our series Rewind, which will be part eight, by the way, probably in a couple of Oh, weeks. that's exciting. Well, yeah, I've listened to a few uh, podcasts recently from other podcasters about, like, the ending, and they talk about it. They don't really actually get into it, so I think that's a good idea that we are finally going to review it. And we're also writing an article for 25 Years Later as well about this very topic. So where do you want to start? What I really want to kind of talk about first and foremost is when uh, Cooper and Diane uh, meet up in Glastonbury Grove. I want to ask you a question because I think I kind of know, well, I suspect... Uh, that when Cooper's coming out, that he might be in an alternate timeline. But do you think that it is actually the timeline where Laura was murdered or where Laura was saved by Cooper? Because I think that's a good starting point going into Odessa. Well, that's a good question. I'm not really sure about that. Like, I just thought that that was finally the one moment where Cooper, uh, Mr. C, had been killed and he had become whole again and that he was allowed to leave the lodge so that that was really the only time in the whole series, like that five minutes when he comes out and he meets Diane in Glastonbury Grove and he's like, he seems normal like the old Coop. And that's really the only time until he jumps back in at the 430 marker that he's really Coop. So, but I don't know which other, which timeline that is. That's a good question. Well, one thing I was thinking about it, it uh, watching it again recently, yet again, is the whole scene in part two where Hawk was going into uh, you know, the woods, into Glastonbury Grove, and he was talking to the log lady, and he told her that something was supposed to happen that night. What if, since we know that Cooper saved Laura and that uh, we saw her body and, uh, disappear from the shore um, outside the Martell house, and Pete went fishing that things were kind of changing so what if when cooper is coming out that that timeline has already shifted and instead of hawk being there where cooper was supposed to come out um that it's diane because now it's a different timeline is that possible well it's very possible but that would be predicated on the, on the fact that like that, that you're, you're not uh, implying that maybe hawk just walks around the woods and sees curtains every once in a while you know? <laughs> right. well that's the, the log lady a lot you know so right. well just that it just seems with, like, in part two, he was going there, where at least they placed that scene right before we actually enter the lodge, where Coop thinks he's actually going to go out. So Yeah, yeah we it, thought that he was going to be waiting for him then in part yeah. two. Yeah, But instead, now we go to part 17 with everything that unfolded, that instead of Hawk being there, that's Diane. Maybe that was really the first clue uh, in the series that there would be an alternate timeline. With, maybe like, that's the Hawk. point of that scene because we were like wondering what was the point of that scene at the very end. You know what I'm saying? Like that was maybe is the point so that we get to see that Diane's there and Hawk was supposed to be there and that that means that they're in the, that the that the retcon worked that he's in a different timeline than what we just saw for however many episodes. 
Right. And if Cooper is coming out at that point, because we really believe that at that moment in part 18, where, where Coop exits the lodge is really the first time that he's fully awoke, not dreaming, uh, reintegrated with his shadow self, like in the entire series, right? At that moment. Yeah. I guess that would imply, though, you know, it's weird is that that means he only urinate. He doesn't only urinate. He doesn't urinate when he's out. I would really have to urinate. I think, <laughs> he urinated in his dreamscape. That was Vegas. a dreamscape. Yeah. He just wet his dream pants. He didn't really do it. Well, but I want to ask you is if since Cooper is uh, really kind of you know, emerging from the, the Black Lodge at that particular point and um, with Mr. C or the, his shadow self like fully integrated, would Diane that we're seeing there be similar in the sense that like her tulpa, which existed um, probably outside of the dreamscape that, that Cooper was in because they never really kind of met. Um, she was really kind of a confederate of Mr. C. So is she kind of dealing with the same thing that Cooper is? Because that's going to lead into Odessa. And the sex scene, which we're going to talk about, is that Diane is dealing with the memories of her tulpa, just like Cooper is dealing with the memories of Mr. C. And that's really kind of uh, a precursor to the nightmare of Odessa. Yeah, so that, that, would everybody in Twin Peaks be having these like memories, these faint memories of what, what did happen or but didn't happen? You think? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we—I don't really want to ascribe the final dossier as um, well, it is canon, but it's separate. I, I don't like to kind of mesh the final dossier with what we saw in season three because I really believe, even though Lynch and Frost collaborated uh, on the stories, uh, the narrative of season three. It really was kind of like Lynch, I think, kind of driving the boat, obviously visually, but maybe kind of like pulling back with some of the more overt things like Frost yeah. included in his book, like Sarah being possessed by the Judy bug and Tammy in the final dossier at the very end. Um, her memory is getting kind of murky when she's talking about the events um, uh, 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 maybe Laura not dying or going missing or whatever. So, so yeah, I think her that... Her hands started shaking, Tom. Did in the book? Did her hands yeah, start shaking? I think shaking? so, right? Didn't you see her hands start shaking in the book, and some things started happening weird? I don't, I don't, that would be great, though. Yeah, yeah. but um, so I don't know. But I really think that the the Black Lodge itself um, can has the the influence. They're being right in the woods, the darkness, the evil that's been out there. That that Sheriff Truman mentioned in in the first season. That I think that not only can it like manufacture tulpas and dreams and nightmares. But it can also kind of penetrate the subconscious, not only of like Laura and Cooper, uh, hence the dream that they had, the iconic dream from the first season, but also like the citizens of Twin Peaks, namely Jerry, Stephen and Gersten, who are actually in close proximity to the Black Lodge because they're in the woods. But any number of people, maybe even Audrey or Charlie. Yeah, so it gets to people and there comes to people in their subconscious dream world. And uh, then if you get sucked into the lodge... Then somehow it's able to like suck your subconscious uh, out of you and, and interpret. It's like you're in a, a lodge dream, so that they are using your subconscious and they know all your buttons to push. They've downloaded that and they're creating like these dreamscapes for you to be trapped in. All right, and I think that leads perfectly into where Cooper went into Vegas. That that being a lodge manufactured uh, dreamscape for the good Dale, not the fully whole Dale Cooper with. Uh, the darkness within him. So it makes sense that his dreamscape was benign or seemingly, well, compared to Laura's dreamscape, which is more nightmarish because of what she went through her pretty much her entire adolescence being, uh, you know, sexually molested and, and uh, abused and dealing with the darkness of, uh, you know, the conflict within her, that Odessa would be more of a dark, like, representation, more of a nightmare of the Black Lodge. Um, so Why did Dougie it, get off so well, like, Coop? Is it because, like, maybe Judy screwed up and, like, she, he was going to give, she was going to give him, like, a Homer Simpson hell where he had to eat a million donuts forever, forever <laughs> but then he liked it? You know, it's like, maybe, like, she just kind of screwed up and that was supposed to be a real bad hell for Dougie, but it wasn't. Well, I think it was because there was no darkness within the good Dale. The good Dale really embodies all the light, all the great qualities of Dale Cooper without any of the darkness. So it makes Can sense. Can you say that, that if anybody, though, when your dark side is removed from you, the yeah, only thing that's left is your light, is light, right? Yeah, but where do we see that? I mean, they, I think that's... I think he got off easy, though. That's all I'm saying. He did get, well, certainly compared to Laura, right? Yeah. Um, I Pick mean, she's, Laura. I think, living in a, a very dark hell. But um, the whole thing with, with uh, Cooper uh, in that, like, Vegas dreamscape 
And we've talked about this before, and you made a very interesting point when we were uh, go, writing that article, was that seeing the one-armed man and like the evolution of the arm, but really the two uh, chief spirits that we, the, really the only spirits that we saw in the Black Lodge in the series, other than Leland and Laura, um, that how they were able to penetrate Cooper's reality or you know, supposed reality so easily. Well, if it was like a lodge manufactured dreams, dreamscape, they wouldn't have to go through any portals or whatever. Or, or a dream. Penetrate, or, because it was like a dream. It was a dream. Really like it was a dream. Ex- yeah. Exactly. So that was a very I like that. Like that was a good proof point. I hadn't thought about that, but once we started writing that, yeah, that makes sense. Well, you came up with that. I thought that oh, was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that made the final cut, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that, that also ties into the unified lodge theory, which is the dream theory, which is kind of, it's like, it's almost like it just extends throughout into 18 as well. It's just we're in Laura's right. dream then. Laura's lodge dream. Before we get into Odessa, I want to talk about that original iconic dream sequence from the first season. You know, the, the dream that Cooper had. I remember that. And the, 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 the dream that Laura had, the shared dream. And it took me a while to kind of really wrap my head around, maybe like, you know, 25 plus years. I don't know why. I, maybe subconsciously I knew this, but the Laura in that dream that Cooper has is dead. I mean, she whispers to Cooper that her father killed her. But Laura had that dream before she died. So her line in season three, I am dead, yet I live, could really be ascribed to that scene in that dream in the original series. So my thinking is, even though I know this was shot first, like, you know, it was one of the first uh, episodes in 1989, 1990, and before any of season three uh, became a reality, that what if that dream continued, that original dream sequence continued? Would we eventually see, like, Laura taking off her face, the endless void, all yeah, these Yeah, if you had a 10 to 25-year time elapse. <laughs> or maybe there is no time, like you're saying. Maybe there is no time. Well, that's what I'm getting at, is that time is nebulous. That's the whole thing, and that's why what we're going to get to when we get into the Odessa and the ending and why Philip Gerard keeps telling Cooper, is it future? Is it past? And Laura could say something like, I am dead yet. I'm I, yet. I'm alive. Or yet I live and really kind of mimic that original dream from 1989. It's because like, there really is no sense of time in the lodge. I mean, I really believe that whether you go there as a, a, a live like Cooper did at the end of the original series or you go there as a spirit when you die that no matter if, if you, uh, you leave whether Laura is sucked out because she was saved by time travel or Cooper is actually you know, able to leave when his doppelganger returns that a part of you remains in that lodge forever and I, I, that's what I really believe that the, the end shot it's like hell whisper. it's got your soul so you're in the loop-de-loop forever are you Laura Palmer? Hey, Philip, hi, hey. No, we're... We're some arms. My arms went back. Cooper and Diane, they meet, and uh, immediately they're in that car, right? And they're driving, and Cooper makes the reference to the 430 that uh, is a callback to uh, the firemen in, uh, in part one. And then they stop, and... The one bit in that scene that really kind of gave me pause, even though we saw something like this in part 17 when Coop was making out with uh, 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 Diane after she transformed from NATO, but he asks Diane to like kiss, kiss him because it might all be different when we cross. Now, I think that scene with Cooper and, and Diane in the sheriff's station in part 17 is really still that Vegas kind of dreamscape. Dream even world. Though, it's not real. Dream world. Yeah, not real. That so, was kind of creepy there. She always kind of scared me when she popped out. Yeah, and did, didn't yeah. she kind of like, she kind of... Uh, like, yeah. Lil. She didn't have like that. Like the, the Diane that we're seeing in part 17 and the Diane that we see in part 18 are kind of two different, like I would say versions, but um, they're, I think, dealing with different like kind of emotions. Is their nail polish different? They are, yeah. Yes, the nail polish is, I think, black and white in part 18, which... There you go. The floor, but so maybe Cooper realizes, you know, just like you were mentioning about having not urinated in 25 years, he hasn't been with a woman in 25 years, and here he is about to cross over, and he wants a little uh, intimacy with his trusted his girl Friday. Well, he wants to erase the memory of what Mr. C did to her as well in the past reality, right? Well, yeah, that's going to like lead into the sex scene. So you want to just you want to talk about that because I've had so much trouble figuring that out, but I finally I think. 
at least kind of convinced myself of something. It, it makes a little bit of sense. And I think we've talked to the, about this a little bit, but um, I'm not so much on the ritualistic side in, anymore, even though there is something going on. I don't think it's a conjuring. But what are your thoughts on... Uh, on I don't know. Side? I thought it was yeah, Jack Parsons' sex magic at some point, but now I'm not really <laughs> sure. It's almost like that they were trying to erase uh, the past of what happened with Mr. C and her and somehow it dissolves like it doesn't work like that they're that they're trying to reconnect after all these years and that it's failed like you can't forget that and that's why she wanted to cover up his face and started crying and he was like the dark side was coming out from within him that she didn't think was still there and he was you know looking like mr c and uh it all like just seeing her tulpa out there before they go in and do it it just seems like it was all fraught and that maybe diane wasn't even there maybe that was a figment i don't know but like she disappears like and it's almost like his uh another part of his subconscious that that had chased him in in from you know the other realities it was gone and it was just nothing and i think the song uh my prayer i think the mistake is trying to tie that scene with part eight because that's where we heard the song we heard it in the new mexico section yeah, that was terrifying. Eight. And I think happening. what, for me, it was. <laughs> like, what the, when that started, when it came on, I was like, oh my God. Like, we were just waiting for something horrible to happen in that scene, and it didn't. Yeah, like, she's but covering it did, up, actually. But she's yet. covering up Cooper's eyes, and maybe yeah. a bug was going to come out of his mouth or something like that. I, I didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. I was but for terror. I think that the song is, for that scene, is to evoke the past. Not the past of part eight, but Cooper and Diane's past. And... Just like you were saying, this the the no knock nor no doorbell scene when Mr. C raped Diane, and Diane is really kind of like we don't know what she went. Well, we know what her tulpa went through, and uh, in the series, but the Diane was supposedly hiding behind the mask of NATO. But it's all very murky and mysterious. We don't really know. We don't have the, the the information that we got with Cooper and his extended dreamscape. So we don't know what really Diane is kind of going through during the sex scene. And if they're really penetrating like Laura's nightmare, her, uh, her uh, Odessa uh, dreamscape, manufactured lodge dreamscape, that the influence of like Laura and the Lodge, the darkness of it, are somehow penetrating their subconscious and creating this exterior, like this motel, this shabby little motel, because there was no dialogue in the car. They just really kind of pulled up. They didn't say anything. Cooper just got yeah, out. Yeah, just dread. Just, right, just total dread. Yeah, yeah, it's like they're almost, they're not in control. They're being like manipulated. They're like uh, puppets on strings. Now, whether it's Judy, Philip Gerard. A jumpy man, who is some lodge construct, or maybe it is the dark recesses of their subconscious, like kind of pulling the strings. We don't know, but I really think that's what that sex scene is. It really kind of embodies the past, evoking what happened that night, that night at your house with Mr. C and Diane. And I really think that the reason why Diane isn't there in the morning, if this really is a dream that Cooper and Diane penetrated as opposed to a portal or an alternate timeline, then she decided to wake up. That's I'm out of here. I, I can't do this. I, there's no way. Cooper, you're freaking me out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cooper, you're freaking me out. I already saw my double. Uh, you know, uh, this crazy, this sex scene was reminding me of being raped by your doppelganger. She checked out. I'm out of here. And I think that's what she did, and that's why she's gone. Well, when she woke up, where did she wake up? Was she back in the red room? <laughs> Philadelphia? Where the fuck was she? That's a good the question. convenience store? Yeah. Where the hell am I? I what year is I this? have no idea. That's a good question. Well, I mean, another reason why I think that we're in a dream as opposed to an alternate reality is because when they're in, their ca- in the car and they're crossing over, the electrical... Um, you know, lights that are uh, that appear in the car kind of mimic that scene with uh, uh, Cooper and Philip Gerard going into the kind of the dream world of the convenience store to meet Philip Jeffries with the electrical flashes. There was no like vortex in the sky, so you eliminate a, a portal. Um, it could very well be a timeline, a different timeline, but I, I think it's more a dream, and it's not like a dream in the conventional sense where there's like a sleeper, like Laura is sleeping, like within the lodge, on the floor, without a cot or something, or in 1989, like in her bed. It's not that. It really is 
a lodge manufactured dreamscape where you really like feel that it's like you're in some kind of virtual reality. Like it, it, it seems real. It's just not real. Yeah, maybe like electricity is used to like jump between change channels within the lodge dreamscape, lodge TV. Like it is lodge TV, <laughs> right. just a million channels. It's <laughs> all the different hellscapes. Everyone's going you, through it. Ray's got one. Do you one, think Philip Gerard is? <laughs> yeah, they all got one. <laughs> do you think Philip Gerard or the evolution of the arm are like watching like on sofas? Like, yeah, uh, like they're like the, the guy on the Muppet Show. The two old guys on the Muppet Show. They're just laughing. Yeah, you mean the judges up in yeah. the? Uh... Yeah, Waldorf. Are they and... judges? Are I they? Know. Yeah, I think it was named Waldorf. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's probably it. That could be it. So, okay, the, so the next question is, okay, so when Cooper wakes up the next morning, Diane had penned that goodbye letter as Linda to Richard. It ties into the giant in, or the fireman in part one. But if that note wasn't written, that letter, we would have never had any reference to Richard or Linda right. whatsoever. So it's almost like a, a deliberate like decoy or you know a rabbit hole that will, will never end. Because I, I just don't think that... Diane woke up or really believes that she is Linda. I don't believe that she's trying to fuck with Cooper and calling him Richard. I don't think she's privy to the fireman's uh, instructions. I mean, I don't know what it is. I just think that the name Richard uh, evokes little Dicky Horn because he is the bastard son of uh, Mr. C and Audrey Horn. I think it's one of the first callbacks. The rape scene, or not the rape scene, the sex scene is the first one that uh, is calling back the, the memories of Mr. C being out in the real world for 25 years while Cooper has been trapped in the lodge. And now Cooper is now back whole, uh, whole himself, and he's now dealing with those memories and those realizations and that's being kind of manufactured by the lodge, but he's conjuring them himself within his own subconscious. Maybe she's going to become Linda in that world. Maybe she doesn't wake up at all. She just gets in the car and she just starts driving and she looks in her license and it says Linda and there she is. She just, that's, she's living in this world. The world she's in now. Do you think when she left the hotel room that it was the hotel that they checked in or it was the hotel, the different hotel that Cooper left? I would think somehow she, checked, she left the same hotel they checked into and he ended up at a completely different hotel when he walked out. That's very interesting because if she took the two... car. <laughs> well, she it's took a different the tar- car. Yeah, it's a different car. No, he he had he got into Mr. C's car. They were I don't know what. Well, that's car what I'm they saying. Like she took her like that cool little whatever like car they had in the beginning. That was like a classic. I don't know what that was, but it wasn't the the Mr. C car that was. That's what he ended up driving to Carrie's house and all around to Twin Peaks. Yeah, there's also remember that line in Mulholland Drive. Just a quick aside when Naomi Watts, uh, the Betty character. Once the story flips and you see that she really is Diane Selwyn, she gets the phone call from Rita and Rita says, Diane, the car is waiting. And she gets into like the limo. I immediately thought of like Diane waiting in that car in like a different, like, like a dreamscape, like Diane from Holland Drive, like waiting for Cooper to check out. Like, it seems like what, I don't think Lynch was maybe consciously doing this, but the Odessa, the whole really part 18 after Cooper emerges from the lodge really evokes, I think chiefly the lost highway, but there's some certain Mulholland drive like feels going on as well. Yeah. Um, the duality of Diane for sure. Yeah. And also everything going evil, like turning, having the, the dread there's dread. There's dread. Yeah. And why aren't they talking to each other? I mean, what that whole thing, and it goes from day to night, right? When they cross over the, the, the first real line of dialogue is when they go to the hotel room. And it's almost like, it's like you come over here to me. I mean, this is not. Uh, it's not normal uh, again. They're not. They're no longer normal again. They're in. They're in a total like it's a video game or something. They're. They're. They've got like it's like they've got. They're in Judy Land to go save Laura, but like they have to be warriors. They have to have their base instincts, their survival. You know, like they're fucking cavemen going in to, to kill people, so that they don't have a lot of empathy, not a, not a lot of niceties. They're kind of rough. So when Cooper actually leaves the hotel. It's a different hotel. He seems to uh, notice that. And it's a different car. It's really Mr. C's car that we saw him driving in, in uh, part three. And then he's just tooling around. It doesn't seem like he knows where he's going. Like you uh, cleverly stated that he has no GPS. He, like He really doesn't know where he's going. And it's like the Judy diner just suddenly seems to appear and like catches his attention. So do you think that something is pulling him towards the diner? Well, he's intuitive. That's what I'm saying. He uses his intuition. He's very famous for that, the rocks and the whole thing in part three of season one. So I think he's using his intuition. He's like Luke getting rid of the fucking, uh, to blow up the Death Star. And uh, Judy knows that. And so Judy's giving him signs. Come come this way, young man. 
And I think that's what she's doing. She's like the all-present force of this universe. So if you think that to Judy's luring him to that location, basically. Yeah, tricking and him into thinking that, it, that that's the solution to this. And it's not. And maybe even mocking him by luring him to a place that says, eat at Judy's? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I think she's just toying with him. She's just fucking with him. Just like we said, we always thought like those headlights <laughs> that were sneakily behind them, driving all the way up to Twin Peaks that just were there for a little while and left. They looked kind of like an owl. They were kind of scary. Like they were, they, that, that was Judy there. She's just like, I'm, I see you. I'm that, I really think that was Judy's cameo in part 18 yeah, as those headlights. I mean, appearing seemingly out of nowhere, really kind of like haunting Cooper and then Laura. I bet a lot of people uh, don't think that theory. I bet a lot of people don't think that. But I, I bet they don't either. But Wasn't I'm there a cool layover when you laid over 17 and 18? Like those lights like went through his eyes, like Coop's yeah. eyes. That was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, there's a great image that uh, I think I found somewhere where Coop's eyes in part 17 when he's coming into the furnace room are those headlights in part 18. That's where those two scenes matched up. It was great. But um, that headlight scene really kind of embodied the, the dread of the entire uh, Odessa section that no matter where Laura goes or Cooper on this long, silent nighttime journey, that the Judy, the darkness, the evil is right there behind you. And it might just pass you and drift away, but it's going to be around the bend or it's going to you know, show up in another guise or within the Palmer home. It's like everywhere. It's in the diner. It's in the hotel room because that's what we're dealing with here in this Odessa, Odessa section. And I really think it's the, the Laura is the, it's her dreamscape that Cooper is penetrating, but he's like, I'm going to say a victim, but he is vulnerable to um, everything that's going on. I mean, you, you said that he's being intuitive and, and I agree with that. I think that was a great, um, kind of callback. I mean, because it's true. He still possesses those qualities, but he is not the assured uh, G-man that we, you know, all knew and love in, in the first, uh, you know, two seasons. I mean, he certainly is is beaten down and worn and hardened um, in this new guise. And I want to ask you if Judy really is pulling these strings in Odessa in this section, and if we think it is a large manufactured. Uh, dreamscape nightmare for Laura. What is Judy's role in the Black Lodge? She's the all-controlling, omnipotent, satanic uh, leader of it all. She's, that's it. <laughs> satanic. Yeah. <laughs> she is Satan, Tom. <laughs> Are you going to start like saying like Rami Top, like Young Sherlock Holmes? Rami Top, yeah. She whatever Rami you call her. Scratch. <laughs> whatever. Whatever it is. Big bat. You were saying in the Vegas section that like, she didn't really have. If that was the same thing, there were, really wasn't a Judy presence in the Vegas section? Was it because it was, you know, deliberate? She had other fish to fry? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I can't explain why she's not. You're right. She's not in Dougie's nightmare. You don't see her peeping through, do you? At all. No, not at all. The only thing that I can really come up with is that Judy is not a part of the Black Lodge as we know it. I think that she is more um, aligned with the convenience store. And I think kind of the convenience store is more kind of the halfway house. It's like more kind of the, the spiritual meeting place for all of these spirits. And that really is Judy's domain. And maybe the, the nightmare aspect of the Black Lodge, maybe there's corridors that kind of connect the convenience store with the Black Lodge. But um, the nightmare is more of the convenience store realm. And if that is the case, like the TARDIS that you mentioned that the convenience store um, appears to be, then I was f- fully signed on on Judy pulling the strings in this kind of dreamscape. But I just there's really no connection that's been made of, of Judy in the Lodge. Um, she's just this negative force. Couldn't Judy also be like this mythic, like it's Kaiser Soze? I'm saying she's not really there. Like she's, people speak of her and that, the, oh, that's Judy. Everyone's freaking out about Judy, that Judy did all this. But maybe Judy doesn't even exist, that Judy is the Lodge and the Lodge is Judy. I think that's a very good point. I, I like that as opposed to really ascribing like any kind of evil or darkness or mystery that a mystery that we can't really understand. Just saying like, oh, it's Judy. It's, it's Judy's. And, and I've been guilty of it well, as we well. We had the Judy children theory, like the, the little bug, the little eggs that come down, hatched in the mouths and created a million Judy children. And that's what Mrs. Tremont and Sarah and whomever. And maybe that's all that Judy is, about. just like. Yeah, maybe that's all that Judy is. Like with, remember, didn't Albert say after Leland died that maybe that's what Bob is? All that Bob is is like the evil that men do. And here's the children of Judy, and maybe that really is true. Is that Judy is 
she embodies all these people that have been infected by these bugs that she spewed out in 1945 or whatever. And maybe that's what Judy is. Um, so you're right. And well, we're she hasn't seeing... shown her face yet, like except for like in Firewalk with Me when he, when uh, Bowie goes like Judy. And you saw the monkey for a second, right? Right. The mask. That's it. Yeah. And that that's wasn't. You, we know now that wasn't Judy. Well, but back in the day, we thought maybe it was. No, yeah, it's I think not. It was. Right? I think so. the Judy theory kind of evolved since Firewalk with Me. But I always thought we were going to see a monkey at some point. I wish we had seen a monkey. Lynch I think we also did. We hear <laughs> or something like that. We hear a monkey sound as well in Firewalk with Me, right? Like for a little bit. Is there a monkey sound in, in there? Like when you see Firewalk a face? With... Yeah, you see there, I thought there was a monkey sound in there somehow. No, but there's two different... Well, there's definitely a monkey sound in The Return okay. when... Where? Uh, part 8, when the woodsmen are uh, hovering over Mr. Oh, yeah, C. freaking out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ray's freaking out. And he's making those... Those are actually like sped up. Like those are... Or those are monkey sounds like slowed down. And then I always thought that NATO was making like monkey noises in the uh, jail cell. Oh, yeah. She's like kind of maybe the Twin Peaks version of like Kaiser Soze. And, uh, well, until we get to season I mean, I, four, you know, we can't put her on a wanted poster, <laughs> right? There's no, no face. Oh, I mean, we, Sarah, you could imply that when she pulled her face off, well, that's what we saw. That was Judy. Or the mother is Judy spewing the eggs. Or the box monster is Judy. Well, that's yeah. it. That's a very good question. The box monster, I mean, really that's evokes the image that we saw in part eight, right? I mean, maybe the box monster and Judy and mother, like that is what Judy looks like. Like that's her essential form, but she can take many shapes. I always thought that the the, uh, the experiment that we saw in part eight that spewed all the bubbles, the Bob bubble and everything um, was like huge. But in the glass box, it's like, you know, like a normal height. It's like, you know, five, four. Well, it can move, it can shape shift or whatever. It can go from different <laughs> sizes. Do you think right. one of those eggs that it shot out the mother's mouth was like, turned out to be Fox News? <laughs> it got its own egg. <laughs> season four. You know yeah. if Mark Frost is pending season yeah. four. Yes, the Fox Roger News Ailes. bubble. Right? <laughs> Little Roger Ailes got a bug in his mouth in 1950. Yeah. Right. That's good, my friend. That's good. Um, okay, so at Judy's Diner, um, we have Cooper not enjoying his coffee, um, and he sees a waitress being accosted by those three thuggish cowboys. So if this is Laura's dreamscape, her nightmare, it makes sense that um, the subconscious, like her uh, dealings with abuse, um, is coming out in this scene with a waitress, another waitress being not abused, but really being accosted. And if Cooper wasn't there, God knows what would happen. But I think that we're seeing slowly because we haven't met Carrie Laura yet. So we're, we're seeing because watching that scene, it was a very prolonged, deliberately paced scene. I'm really focusing on Cooper because he's vacillating between you know, kind of like, you know, the do good Cooper with like the kind of, you know, dark uh, Mr. C and uh, it, doesn't he say like it's okay I'm with the FBI and it kind of sounded like the interrogation Cooper or the Mr. C from uh, yeah it was bizarre, it was yeah, ter- it was bizarre. Uh, that was great so, yeah, it was disconcerting so yeah and it also kind of evokes like the Haps Diner in Firewalk with Me which really was the anti double R diner that what we're seeing is kind of like another anti Twin Peaks in Odessa um, leading to Carrie Page. Do you think if Laura went to work like in that diner every day? She's been there for however many years. That it's the same fucking cowboys in there every fucking day. Like it's the same thing. <laughs> you mean like, like a over. loop? It's a loop. Yeah, it's like, like it's like Sarah Palmer in front of the and it goes down, takes a left. It's like the same <laughs> fucking thing. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, possibly. Yeah. I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, the one thing about Laura is that. W- like when she arrived, I mean, my question is like, when did she arrive? I mean, she had to either arrive when she was sucked out of the woods in part 17, when she was like 18 years old or 17 right. years old and didn't know who the hell she was for 25 years and developed a Southern accent, or she was really kind of sucked up out of the black lodge in part two and embodied this woman who lived in Odessa and just somehow came up with a, a Southern accent. Or maybe so, both. Um, or both. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, the, the electrical pole that's outside of her house, right? So Laura Palmer did not have any dealings with that electrical pole. I mean, the first time we saw that was at the Fat Trout in Firewalk with me. And then we saw it here in uh, season three with Carl Rod. 
uh, during the hit and run accident with little Dickie Horn and then the fireman. So Cooper recognizes it because he actually went to the, the trailer park with Carl Rod. Um, and that's where he heard the Chalfon. That was another thing. That was another thing I was going to mention is that Laura doesn't have any frame of reference to the name Chalfont or Tremont. I mean, she could probably recognize the Mrs. Tremont in Firewalk with me, um, but not those two names or the number six electrical pole. But Cooper does. Yes, yeah, so so you, maybe you're asking where does that come from in her subconscious? If this is a subconscious dream reality. Where did those little nuggets come if she didn't know about them? Yeah, that's a very concise way of really kind of shutting. If me not up for the lodge. The point. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Or unless that, since Cooper has penetrated the streamscape, that um, that maybe it, like his subconscious he kind of yeah. come. He's, he brought it, and maybe he's influencing Laura somehow as well. They're, they both are. Yeah, possibly. Well, and also going it's back to the whole Diane thing, you thought like, oh, Diane hasn't met the giant. She doesn't know what's up. Like, do you really think that? I think like somehow she has to have her own mission and journey. She's up there hanging around with Nido, like you or as Nido. You'd think that she would have had some kind of interaction, uh, or at least Cooper would have told her about it. Like something would have, some information would have passed down to her that she wasn't just a pawn completely. Or do you think she was? Yeah. There's that. It's it's like there's like this classic missing scene uh, between. Only the one moment where uh, <laughs> <laughs> the moment where Cooper comes out at, at Glastonbury Grove and they show up in the car. I mean, it's like where it's so mysterious. Like, you know, I don't care like where they got the car. It doesn't matter. But where the hell are they driving from to go to 430 miles? I mean, because it certainly looks like very similar to the road that Mr. C was driving down in part three in South Dakota. But I don't think it is South Dakota, but it doesn't look like, you know, Washington. I mean, it looks more like. It's, it's California. That's where they shot it. But it, it does look more like kind of maybe Texas, West Texas. But how the hell did they get there? I mean, that's why the whole thing really kind of seems very dreamy. Um, not only that aspect, even though I don't think that they are in a dream at that point, but certainly when Laura and Cooper are driving uh, from Odessa to Twin Peaks, I mean, it's all at night. And they stop one time and they barely talk. I mean, it's like complete dread, darkness, not real. Um, and time isn't real. Nothing is real during that time. So, so I, it's a good question. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I would think that she has her own untold story. That season four, we could have a whole like several episodes of just what what's Diane's been up to for the last twenty five years. Like, what really happened? I mean, we'll never That's, do yeah. that, but that'll be interesting. Well, Frost makes a very yeah. He mentions that Tammy was uh, looking through some of her old files, and these had to have been files when she was still working at the FBI. So it was during the time that you know Cooper was investigating Laura's murder and then after he went into the lodge and she mentioned that a lot of the files had been redacted so is that like Diane or now they're just empty Diane? pages yeah <laughs> right the right yeah I, yeah it's it's a good question Di the Diane aspect I still am not convinced that uh, NATO is Diane Diane is NATO I mean because that was happening I think in Cooper's dream um it uh, it makes sense that if he if we're kind of dealing with his kind of subconscious that he's going to pull like his girl Friday a trusted ally you know out of the ether and it's going to be Diane and that's why I think that we're seeing Diane in part eighteen uh, we don't have that backstory uh, other than him dictating uh, you know all of his you know like you know daily events minutia uh, case information to her via the dictaphone. But she and Cooper are obviously very tight, so it makes sense that he would pull her along on this journey. Um, but we don't know who she is or what she's been dealing with. Yeah, question. she could be dead the whole time. She might even be in the entire series. She could just be, well, yeah. Well, here's something that I want to uh, bring up as well. And uh, um, the, the whole thing with Cooper going into this world to try to find Laura and to help her um, in essence, go home, and we'll we'll save what our kicker for for you know what we think the part eighteen really is about here in a minute. But but Cooper is he's playing the part of you know the uh, the guide going in and trying to find Laura. It really evokes for me as time has passed the little mini soap opera of Charlie and Audrey because Charlie really is that we don't know if this is real or not. I mean, it's seemingly a uh, unreal scenario because of the last shot of Audrey. I mean, she, she, she wakes up out of something. We don't know where it is, but if, if Charlie is some kind of guide that has penetrated 
her kind of dreamscape. Or an overlord, perhaps. <laughs> Sleepy. Diabolical. It seems like yeah. that, that he is kind of playing the role that Cooper's playing in Part 18, and Audrey is playing the role of Carrie in Part 18. Carrie Laura. I mean, they both... Well, not they both, but Audrey mentions... Uh, the story of the little girl who lives down the lane, the evolution of the arm does, which leads Cooper to Laura. And it's really about Audrey not feeling like herself. I'm not me. And talking about these dreams and people like, you know, with blood coming out of their mouths and uh, getting very angry and being very uh, belligerent uh, and violent um, and ultimately like waking up, snapping out of it. Um, And it, it just seems like since Lynch rewrote that on the fly because Audrey's scenes were much different than what we saw here in The Return, that it's possible since the whole script had been written that he concocted this little mini-section narrative for Audrey that somehow, maybe subconsciously, maybe not, maybe I'm just making the shit up, that really kind of mirrored or foreshadowed what we're seeing with Laura and Cooper as Richard and Carrie in Part 18. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be uh, nebulous. You're like, is this real? Like, Frost obviously made it seem like it was real that was going on in town, and Audrey had this husband that really, you know, was all, she was going in and out of the mental institutions. But there's another interpretation, and that's right. that it's like that she's trapped in some sort of, maybe after Mr. C raped her, and she got, she, she got lost in the lodge in a dream or something happened, and she got trapped in a, in a lodge uh, loop as well, like that she, Audrey could be trapped in the same nightmarish uh, thing that, Odessa really is. It probably would have been like later because of what little Dickie Horn says that Audrey, his mom, had a picture of Cooper like in her, I don't know if it was a room or whatever. Could have so been Tulpa. Well, that's true. I mean, there's something going on. But <laughs> I think knows? that there's, yeah. right. It, it is interesting looking back on it as time has passed that all the interesting things that you, you, you pick up on and you know, who knows what is right or what is wrong. It doesn't really matter. It's just living in the world of Twin Peaks. And, and well, I think the final clue, Tom, was when you cut back to the, the, uh, the band at the Roadhouse, they were playing in reverse Audrey's theme. So that just clearly means that she's in the lodge. I, ding. Enough said. That was that <laughs> perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So Laura Carey, like her house, her setting, right? So the dead body, that real, and the way that that body. Now, do you think that person was like a spirit? Like kind of, you know, doing the whole electricity through the number six pole and trying to do her harm, or was this maybe uh, a partner, like a spouse of some sort? Like, no, I think it's like a Schneider from One Day at a Time, like the super that comes over and like tries to rape her and she kills him every day, and it happens every fucking day. That's what I think it is. And the bob bubble Just... comes out of his stomach and she finishes her day, and that's why the AK's there. So that's where the where the tool belt go, the Schneider tool belt. Tool belt. Yeah. I don't know. The tool belt. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, I was thinking that you know, if this what we're seeing is because we don't have a lot of screen time, a lot of screen time. I almost said screen time. Oh. We don't have a lot of screen time with Laura as Carrie. So, if this really is her being trapped in this nightmare, that uh, looking for clues that would kind of relate to her past, and it seems like that dead body is a perfect substitute for what you know for Leland slash Bob what she went through if that was some kind of partner if it wasn't Schneider from one day at a time if she was dealing with some kind of partner that was beating her up or raping her or something and she finally had enough and took his AK and blew his head off and just let him stay there because she she was done she had counted to 10 I'm done and that's it she didn't matter if Cooper saw him or not because she had been you know, traumatized by so much abuse. So that kind of makes sense. It kind of fits into the little bit of screen time that we have of her that evokes her nightmare adolescence in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I buy that. I definitely buy that. Honey, how secrets travel on I start to believe If I were to bleed Things guide a man, chains his hands, help So what about driving then? Here she is, her savior, Dale Cooper. By the way, who is now, that's, that's why I think that the Richard is like a misnomer. What is your name? Because he, he's not Richard. I mean, he calls himself Dale Cooper to Laura. He calls himself Dale Cooper to... Uh, Alice Tremont. He's got a badge. It presumably says Dale Cooper. I'm sure it's not scratched off and says Richard. It's a, he's a he. He's not Richard. So 
it was only Diane slash Linda that made the reference to Richard. So I, th- I think it's kind of a misnomer. But anyway, Cooper and Laura are now driving back to Twin Peaks. And Laura talking about, you know, her past. Like, I think the Laura in her is slowly kind of coming to, like, when she said, you know, uh, something about, what did she say? Like, uh, uh, I didn't know I didn't know any better. I was so young back then. I didn't know any yeah. better. But what was her, like, number one nightmare of her life was was her dad raping her was bob but here she is in the car with dale cooper who was bob or at least part of him was bob for 25 years so the memory that like the the uh the residue the psychic residue subconscious residue whatever you want to say of bob resides in cooper and he's sitting right next to her in that car. And I, I just, I, that's just, it's another thing, another little subconscious thing, you know, the nightmare. Um, no matter where you go, Judy is there, whether it's headlights, the diner, the horse, which is in her house, the little, ho- uh, uh, the little horse in her house or outside the diner, or Bob, who is right next to her, you know, in memory. Yeah, no matter where you go, there you are. It's, it's that old line. You've got to be through Confucius? the past, but the past is not through with you. Yeah, you can't escape it. Man. Right, right. You think Laura knew so, somehow that there was uh, the, the whole that Bob had been in Mr. C and Coop? Did she, did she sense that? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Um, maybe not in the car, but when they showed up I think maybe at Cooper sensed that. Cooper's probably like, Jesus, like... <laughs> irony of all this <laughs> yeah. memories and also horrible. right i can't believe this yeah like seriously yeah i think they, they, he's probably the one realizing it all yeah what did bob want more than anything he wanted laura he wanted to possess her i mean he was bob eager for fun i mean he raped uh sexually molested laura for like years so if there's a little you know bob you know bubble in the cooper's you know subconscious there you know, he's like wringing his hands, going like, you know, trying to do anything he can to manipulate Cooper to make a move. But he's probably not uh, fully waking up at that point still. He probably doesn't know all this. It's like a past life memory. You know what I mean? Like he's, yeah. uh, he's also got, yeah. a, got a lifetime supposed memory where it didn't happen, where he retconned the whole thing. You right. Know? So who knows how much. But he was awfully quiet and he just didn't have the same empathy. And it's almost like he was like tired. <laughs> he was just finishing out the, he was just playing out the, playing it out, you know, seeing what happens. Right. Okay. So here's the big revelation um, that that we kind of, uh, I'm going to say we we came up with, but just something that uh, arose over time and really uh, writing this article is that that what Cooper is doing like all along is that what uh, by saving Laura, he's bringing her to her home because the whole thing doesn't make any sense. Like I'm going to bring you to your home. Okay. So maybe like you, so you wake up and you realize you're Laura Palmer and here's your mom and you can go in and she can cook you your favorite asparagus for dinner but it just doesn't make any kind of sense I mean if, if it was Sarah and Cooper recognized that it was Judy and that was the plan all along is he going to pull out his Glock and like just plug her right in the head I mean even if it was uh, you know Sarah and Judy would that bullet really stop Judy I highly doubt it what was behind that face no bullet's going to stop that so what was the plan so I think the plan was <clears throat> excuse me by going back and saving Laura, he's not just saving Laura, he's saving himself. So if Laura never dies, Cooper never comes to town. Cooper never comes to town. He never goes in the Black Lodge. Cooper never goes in the Black Lodge. Mr. C never exists. The whole nightmare of what Mr. C, Cooper's doppelganger, Shadow Self, did is erased. That whole timeline is erased. That's the goal. He could have so been the next Comey. <laughs> you mean that slime yeah. ball? <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, so that that's what it is. It's like the white knight exists. Cooper, yes, the white knight saving the heroine, but he's also trying to save himself. So that's who the two birds are. The two birds are Richard, which is kind of a representation of like, you know, the, the 25 years that Cooper was stuck in the lodge and the 25 years that his doppelganger was out and, 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 and Laura Carey being saved. Um, they are the two birds, and the one stone is taking her to the Palmer house, so she will, in essence, wake up from her dream like Cooper woke up, and that will go ahead and make the timeline like official somehow, like Cooper woke up when he stuck the fork 
in the socket in his home, got out of the coma, which facilitated the end of his dream. That's the whole goal, I think. So the salvation of Dale Cooper and saving Laura Palmer. That's what I think what we're seeing here. But the but the what he doesn't realize is that time is nebulous in the Black Lodge and you can't reverse time and no matter how many times he goes back Laura's presence in the lodge will exist because she always was murdered in a timeline, just like he always went into the lodge in a timeline. So that's what we're getting with the very final shot of Laura whispering in his ear again over the credits. It's like, it's a loop-de-loop. It's going to happen over and over again, or it already happened, or there's no way to change it. Yeah, well, I like the idea of, uh, of you know, I think, that's a, I think that's a good theory. That's all you got? That well, no, you were ex- explained it all. I think you got it all. That's good. I think, like, because I think, like, you know, we thought that it was just two birds and one still, but there was no no end game. But the end game was that he thought they were going to snap their fingers or something was going to happen there. They were going to wake up and be in the retcon world, and everything was going to be okay. They're going to be out of the lodge. So I right. like that. That's the goal. It's like the salvation of himself. And it's not just himself. He's not just saving Laura, right? He's saving Audrey from being raped. He's saving that little kid being run over by his bastard son who would never have existed. It's this whole chain of events that I think what Laura is whispering to Cooper somehow and is it's not the words that she's saying it's like when the evolution of the arm says do you remember your doppelganger and he just doesn't flash back to what we see as an audience of buckhorn he's somehow able to i think internalize the evil or visualize the evil that's been going out there and i think that's what he's trying to do that's why he makes that reaction to laura like the huh is that all the evil, the hell that is caused, and that's why he is so dedicated, resolute of going immediately back in time, and then when he gets out, going right back into the Lodge dreamscape, because that reality, he do anything in his power to make it go away. Um, <laughs> he would do it. But he was I mean, supposed to throw a stone, and he didn't throw any stones. Laura wasn't going to be the stone. That, he, he made a miscalculation. No, the stone is the dream. They're going to kill their dream. Their, but it didn't work. Part. No, it didn't work. It's Basically, like, it's like a, the stone didn't shatter the glass or whatever it was. He didn't, he didn't, it didn't happen. It didn't pierce the reality. And they right. never were able to – maybe you should have unhooked, like, the, the buzzer on the front door and, like, bzz, like had a little electricity. <laughs> maybe electricity has to happen, like the fork in the, in the song. Well, yeah, and I think that what we're getting at with Mrs. Tremont and the Chalfont, like that – we were talking earlier how Laura doesn't have a frame of reference of – the name Chalfont or Tremont, but that painting that she was given by Mrs. Tremont in Fire Walk With Me and that she brought to her home, which she put on her wall, she had a dream, she entered the painting, which was the convenience store, which led into the lodge, which led her to Dale Cooper for the first time, who told her, don't take the ring, in essence, his first attempt at saving Laura. So what I think we're seeing here is that... Um, memory like manifesting itself within the Palmer house I'm not saying that that painting has become the portal like overtaken the house but I think that's why there's an Alice Tremont in that house and, and a Chalfont that's referenced is it's it's both Cooper and Laura's subconscious but it's also a part of the convenience store which is playing some role in this Odessa nightmare so if they were the re- if the retcon didn't take right, they were supposed to like snap out of it at the end, and everything's supposed to be right. And it didn't happen. So do they go back to square one? Are they back in the red room, or is Laura is, is Carrie just gonna live out her life in this reality along with Coop until they can figure out another way to go somewhere else? Like what happens? Well, the only the only it's a very 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 good question. The only thing that I can really kind of think that that would tie into what we saw in the narrative, as opposed to really kind of just not making something up, but coming up with some kind of theory is what Cooper went through. Because I really think what we're seeing here in part 18 is like the last moments of Carrie Page, like that persona before she wakes up just like Cooper as Dougie in part 15. When he heard Gordon Cole's name, that really kind of snapped him out of it. Like maybe the scream was, does wake them up. We just don't see it till the, you know, it's like maybe. No, I think it does. Yeah. I, I, that's what I was getting at is that that scream is and then the lights going out with the electricity really kind of mimics what Cooper went through in part 15 by sticking a fork in the wall yeah, socket. She blew up the lights. Yeah. Yeah. So 
and I think that that represents her waking up. So, does, does, so what what happened to Cooper? Like he was like in a coma, but he wasn't really in a coma. I mean, I mean, come on, that, none of that shit was like real. It really wasn't. I mean, Philip Gerard shows up, the hum, the Black Lodge hum, all that stuff, or whatever. But she might do something similar. She might be in a similar situation. But then, why the final scene back in the lodge doing the Eternal Whisper? Well, I think that just is a, a, is a, it's like a great final shot. But I think it's like really kind of. <laughs> He's just window <laughs> dressing. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. Come on. No, 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 no. I'm just saying on one hand, it is a great final shot. But I think what it is, that whole thing, Laura whispering in his ear in part two, like even if you want to go back to the first season, like my father killed me. That was crack the code, solve the crime. So it's very important. But her whispering in part two, I think really facilitated all this shit happening because she was sucked out of the lodge at that point. So whatever she whispered to him planted the seed of her saving her like and also tied in with all the shit that Mr. C was doing, which caused Cooper to like, okay, the only way I'm like, you know, rectifying this is once I get out, I'm saving the, I'm going back in time and I'm changing the whole fucking timeline. So what I think is happening is, is that why we're seeing that shot is, even though I don't think that Cooper and Laura automatically return to the Black Lodge and she's going to whisper to him again, I think it reinforces that your plan, your salvation or, uh, for yourself and saving Laura and all these other people and changing time won't work. It can't work. It's not going to work. And we just see that shot and that expression of Coop, huh? the slow motion, huh? because that is like, that's him. It's like a Mobius strip. Back to square it's one. Yeah. Back to square one. So that, that's, that's the only thing I guess. So, they, so it failed. So it's a failure. Well, we agree. But may, we don't know. Maybe well, also, there's something. no way to get out. Maybe that's the also thing. Like, there's no, this, they're, they're, they're foolish to think that would have worked. It wasn't going to work. I think, yeah, I think that Cooper and Laura, both of them, really, those are the two icons of Twin Peaks. I mean, this really is about their arcs, and it's mostly about Cooper's arc. It's more of a symbolic arc for Laura because we don't get the screen time, screen time that Cooper gets. And we're seeing, really, especially in, in part three, this tapestry of. Of, of I think Lynch and Frost's like their um, their version of, of like kind of a life cycle or their version of like their kind of spirituality um, something they're, they're really kind of saying a lot about the human condition through Cooper and Laura yeah and I think that's a part of it I mean I think that there's hubris involved I think that there's it's certainly well intentioned hubris all... hubris on what part Frost and Lynch's part or on uh, no no Cooper. on Cooper on Cooper on Cooper <laughs> maybe on Frost and Lynch's no I'm kidding well it is a great um, ending so you're right about that yeah it is and, and it does the fact that Laura or Carrie when she is Carrie the, the thing that really does she's on the really the precipice of waking up and it's hearing Laura the, the her name by Sarah uh, which was, I think, the same uh, audio cue from the pilot, you know, when she you know, called up to Laura, you know, the, the day after she was murdered. That was it. That was the name, the hearing her name, just like Cooper heard Gordon Cole. So, and it's also tied into the episode title, which is, what is your name? Like, that really is the, the wake-up call for both of them, the characters, like, tied together in this nightmare dreamscape. And... Cooper is well-intentioned, and I, 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 it just doesn't work out. It, it, that's, it's dark, and there's never, there was never a point for me where there was even 1% of that being like a happy ending. It never was. <laughs> how, how could it be? No, it's a hellish ending. It's a nightmare. It's a horrible ending, especially well, when it's the so, end of the whole thing. Like, after everything, we're back to square one. That's what he said. <laughs> well, yeah, but haven't you read? Like, some people think that Laura, like, destroyed Judy well, yeah, I like screaming. those are interesting theories. Blowing out the lights, and just, but then, but if, if that happened, but why back in the why, back in the loop de loop at the end? Because I don't, I don't, I don't buy that one. I don't believe it. They should be like flying towards the you know the cosmos, like flying high with glitter flying out of them, <laughs> like they just did it. That's for the final scene, holding hands, making a rainbow. Maybe that's it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they're uh, falling through space like Cooper was falling through space. Yeah, but like a rainbow like, that would have been in hand in hand. Then you know, it's like a positive ending. <laughs> right. Oh, that's right. So thoughts? that's. <laughs> Yeah, okay, there's one thing. I want to kind of do the old, like, uh, Cooper, like, going back in time, like, February 23rd, 1989. One thing that I think uh, we forgot, I forgot to mention uh, in between Part 17 and 18, which I think was very, very important, was the scene um, after the events in the sheriff's station when Cooper 
and Cole and Diane show up in the furnace room. Now, that's when we had Big Head Cooper, and that was really kind of the tell, at least for me and I think you, that we were living in like Cooper's you know dreamscape. Basically, he was dreaming the whole thing, and uh, with the help from the Black Lodge. But that Big Head goes away, and they're in the furnace room, and it's not just Cooper, and he gets his FBI pin back, and he seems like. <laughs> Kind of, but what I think was happening here is that that this really is kind of like a denouement of the dream. And what Cooper is doing is that he recognized at that point at 2:53 when Big Head Cooper, you know, said we live inside a dream that he was living inside a dream. It wasn't real. That he became like a lucid dreamer. He was able to penetrate the dreamscape like Philip Gerard, the evolution of the arm did. And that's why he brought his two trusted allies, Diane and Cole to that furniture because they certainly didn't know what the hell was going on or how they even got there. And then Cooper goes and meets Philip Gerard who leads him to Philip Jeffries, who I think was doing the same thing. He was not only time traveling from Firewalk with me and God knows how many other times throughout, you know, the last 25 years. But I think it was very similar. I think that he had a very similar kind of this lucid dream experience Philip Jeffries did back in the day, which brought him to the convenience store and set him off on his own like journey that we're seeing Cooper kind of mimic. So that real scene, that little uh, scene in the furnace room of the Great Northern, which is really kind of this uh, 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 kind of this middle section of the ending of Cooper's dreamscape and kind of the beginning of him going back in time and returning to the lodge and eventually getting out is very crucial. And it's like, it's how Cooper, in my opinion, is able to penetrate the dreamscape at 430 in part 18 is because he has become evolved. He's like the magician between two worlds and Philip Gerard is welcoming him in between two worlds before taking him to Philip Gerard. So I think it's, that's at least for me makes some kind of sense because I don't, I really didn't know what the hell it meant uh, for the longest time because he had his FBI pin back. He wasn't dreaming. I I didn't know. Maybe the point of it was that he could show them that he's learned to turn the invisible doorknob and that 315 was the first doorknob. Then off he goes turning invisible doorknobs all over the cosmos. Uh, and eventually it didn't work because the door that's great work. that's true because it was the old like uh, invisible door yeah. he really that really was the first point where I think he became enlightened or at least figured that aspect out and then we saw the old uh, invisible door do you think if he would have known that or had that ability in part two when he was walking down the corridor that he wouldn't have been blocked yeah he might have known how to get out that's what I mean maybe like uh, Major Briggs and maybe Philip Jeffries maybe they all turn the invisible doorknob that's a way to get through the Doctor Who, Who portals perhaps <laughs> that's right very good yeah I like that all right. Well, is that your last thought? <laughs> yeah, it's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>
and we didn't get this in the in the show. So in the part of season three, so maybe it wasn't intended. The the painting in the Palmer House. Yeah, like, maybe that looked like the inside of the convenience store. It looked like that. So we got that. Well, yeah, he did do that, but he didn't make any other reference to it. But maybe no, that was intentional. You were hammering but that if, for a long time, Tom. Yeah, Laura went into that fucking painting, went into the convenience store, and or maybe then she woke just up. imagined that and she was just dreaming that, Tom. Maybe she didn't really do it. Maybe it's just what well, scene yeah. in Firewalk with me. Yeah, but she saw Annie. She yeah. saw Cooper. Yeah. Um, she saw the little man. She saw. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's implied to be a dream, but a dream is not a dream, or just a dream in a Lynch project. I mean, there was a very good reason why he included that. I think. And, Did we even see and, the painting at all in the return? No, that was it. We only yeah. saw the painting and the guys of the interior. Of the yeah, we thought we were going to see it, like with Sarah in the house, or you know, we'd, we exactly. thought we'd see it under the fa- the ceiling fan. And we didn't see it. That's the only thing because, I, I the one thing that kind of makes sense to me is that the the Cooper being in the lodge and going on the the journey, the dream within the lodge, uh, that that all makes sense. Uh, with with Laura it being a nightmare. Um, I really kind of ascribe more with the convenience store. And it, I remember I tried to tie that in together with like, she was split like Cooper and one half is in that painting in the convenience store and one half was like, you know, in the real world and then she died. And the who we're seeing in Odessa is that girl who was trapped in the fucking painting. And that would kind of make sense because that painting was given to her by Mrs. Tremond. And it was in the house where Sarah lives. So there's a lot of meat on the bone with that. But there was no proof of that in part 18. No. So there's no meat on the bone. There's, well, I mean, if... It's, bone, it's I mean, Yes, it's an old, <laughs> old bone. Old dried up shriveled bone. No one wants. Oh, God. Well, I think we should save this. And I can probably maybe, cut together and make something out of it. I could probably cut together and have like a... No, I want to do that one thing, right? I want to do like a, the the cutting room floor where I take bits and pieces from all kinds of different episodes or whatever and oh, yeah. build like a, you know, like during our hiatus or something like that, where we have like kind of a greatest hits or greatest blenders. Um, and yeah, so keep this one on file and maybe take a uh, call some points. Really? Think so there's yeah. something for our greatest hits that we just discussed. Yeah. I think there might be some greatest oh, hits. We're just, here. Throw, just yeah. throwing it away. The golden gems then. Well, until next time, thanks you guys for, uh, <laughs> From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that's spinning. You have no choice.